Hey everyone, it's Maria and Annie here with Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude, and we just wanted to wish you a happy, happy new year. I There's so many things to look forward to in this next year. We hope you had a beautiful 2023 and got to wrap it up with some lovely memories, and you have th- beautiful things to look forward to in 2024. My wish is always that you dream big, you worry small, you give yourself tons of grace, tons of love, and that you shine your light in the world. And we just so appreciate you joining us here on our podcast journey. Um, Just wanted to come make this introduction because this conversation we're listening to today, we did record in the beginning of December and just want to let you know that because some of the topics in it might have shifted over the past month. So we just wanted to give you an idea of the time, but we felt still felt it was a really important conversation to be sharing here. So as we move into 2024, we look forward to sharing our podcast still with you hopefully weekly, and uh, we would just love that you love it too. Welcome to Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude, a podcast by Coffee and Grief. I'm Maria Gibson, and this is my mom, Annie Gudger. We're a mom-daughter team who talk about grief. We started this podcast to learn more about grief and to be part of the conversation in normalizing grief. We're not looking for any answers because there really aren't any. We're just looking for a conversation. My biggest grief was being widowed when I was 28 and pregnant with Maria's older brother. Everything in my world changed. Eventually, for the good, and that took time. Eventually, there was Scott, my fabulous husband, then Maria, our amazing daughter. I'm fond of saying that grief is the source of my superpowers. It's where I learned to not take time for granted. It's where I learned compassion and love in a bigger, deeper way. It's where I learned to be a beauty seeker, a joy seeker. I wrote my way through grief. I filled stacks of journals. Years later, I wrote a memoir. The Fifth Chamber is a story of love and loss and more love. The Fifth Chamber as in, if your heart had a fifth chamber, what would you fill it with? It's my grief story and how I found my way back to me how I found my way back to love and a beautiful life. It just came out in September and you can buy it wherever you buy your books. And I would be tickled after you read it. If you would leave me a review on Amazon and Goodreads. So for me, I was raised by my mom here who was grieving. Grief was very normalized in our home. A thing I've realized in the past few years is that when we don't share our griefs, They become secrets and tear people up, but in sharing them, we can connect with each other on a really deep level. The past couple of years, I've lost a few people in my life, including several grandparents and a few horses and a couple cats. I feel that many deaths in my life have been major benchmarks in how I view the world. We're fond of saying that grief is transformative. You don't need to stay stuck in the hard parts. Grief is one of life's certainties. It allows us to connect to each other's humanity. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say to be kind to yourself and thank yourself for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. These conversations aren't a prescription. We're just here offering a little bit of hope. So as we like to say, grab your coffee and let's talk. Today, we're delighted to welcome Jennifer Lang, who will read a piece of her writing and then we'll be in conversation with her. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so delighted to have you here. 
Um, here's Jennifer's bio. Born in the San Francisco Bay Area, Jennifer Lang lives in Tel Aviv, where she runs Israeli Writing Studio. Her prize-winning essays appear in Baltimore Review, Under the Sun, Midway Journal, and elsewhere. She holds an MFA from Vermont College of Fine Arts and is an assistant editor at Brevity. She runs Israeli Writers Studio and practices, teaches yoga. Her award-winning book, Places We Left Behind, a memoir in miniature, will be followed by Landed, a yogi's memoir in pieces and, and poses, which will be out 10, 15, 2024, both with Vine Leaves Press. And as a side note, I've just got to say, um, The Places We Left Behind is such a beautiful book, and we will put it in our show notes, and I encourage you all to get it and read it. Um, so Jennifer, what will you be reading for us today? So I'm going to read um, a few of the small chapters from my book and we'll start there. So Places We Left Behind is a love story with a lot of conflict, inner and personal, marital and geopolitical about home. So my grief very much centers around loss of home base, a lot of what I write about. Um, I'm starting this uh, 40 pages in about, and it's, uh, um, I wrote it in small chapters, and this one is called Jitters. Do you feel like we just made things complicated? My new husband, Philippe, asks. Wed less than 24 hours earlier and en route to France, I lean my head against his shoulder for takeoff. My body fits seamlessly against his, whether sitting, standing, or supine. My parents are in one country, yours in another, and we're in a third, he says. Our new reality sounds daunting. To see our folks, we have to spend a lot of money, use vacation time, and traverse several time zones. How about we spend seven years in Israel, seven in France, and seven in America? Deal, I suggest, convinced it's the ideal solution. In Judaism, seven's super symbolic. The number of Aliot on Shabbat, the number of times a Torah is carried around the synagogue on Simcha Torah, and the number of times when a man takes a wife appears in the Bible. Philippe, the Frenchman, laughs, if you want. Midair, I stare out the window at Tel Aviv's hodgepodge of skyscrapers and patches of green at the ancient port city of Jaffa and its red and white lighthouse. As we climb in altitude, I'm hovering, unmoored. Here and there. Outside Dr. Plavis's window, the sky is pigeon poop gray. I don't think I can live there in Israel again, I whine, sounding like a sour teenager. Definitely not with little kids. Ours are five and two. Since leaving Haifa in 1994, 16 countrywide suicide bombings have claimed 163 lives. I stroke my burgeoning belly furious at myself for bringing another baby into our itinerant existence. Philippe slouches in his seat. Lately, my parents and our friends have broached the forbidden question, how long are you here? Tying our tongues in knots. Unlike Princess Diana, who physically stepped onto an active minefield in Angola to aid in the call for an international ban on landmines shortly before our daughter was born, we figuratively step onto landmines when uttering words like home, roots, country. I glare at my husband. Do you love Israel more than me? No, but I don't like living here in California. 
how carelessly we combine the adverbs here and there in this place and in that. If we're neither here nor there, are we lost? I can't be Jewish the way I want here. You agreed to two years abroad, remember? Impossible to forget. Tears snowball down my face. The therapist observes, takes notes. I wonder what adjectives he uses to describe us, our situation. Cold, complicated, unresolvable. If I want to live in California, but Philippe wants to live in Israel, then where can, where should, where will, where will we both settle? We leave in silence. Philippe drives. The baby kicks. I gasp. Oh, Jennifer, that's lovely. I thank you for reading those two pieces. I love, it's one of the things I really appreciate about your book is how you use other structures to give structure to this very complicated life and this very complicated moving from here to there. And I like that you lean into grammar and you have some diagrams and, um, you know, you cover a lot of time and space in this book and they are these little short vignettes yet as a reader, I felt really held by it. And, um, I just want to say bravo for that. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. So we always like to start with, um, can you tell us a brief version of your grief story? Yes, except I'm anything but brief. Um, um, but I love how brief and grief rhyme. Love that. Um, I grew up really, really rooted. In fact, um, in my first little chapter, which is what this book is all written in is tiny chapters. In my first little chapter, I, I do this flow chart and the first kind of paragraph is how in my first 18 years, I grew up in the same house, in the same bedroom, in the same house, in the same street, in the same city, in the same state, the same country, the whole thing. And then after 18 years, I started to move. So first it was college and then it was my junior year abroad in Paris. And then it was back to Paris after college when a job landed in my lap. And then it was from there to Israel between that job and graduate school in New York. And then it was unexpectedly staying in Israel where I met my French husband. And then it was the two of us moving with our new child to Paris for a year for my husband's graduate school. And then from there to California for a year, which became six and our daughters were born. And then from there to New York for six years and then to Israel for a year with our three kids and then back to New York and then back to Israel. Yeah. And I lost terra firma. I lost connection to the earth. So yoga entered my life in two months after we landed in California in 1995. And I, I just look back and I think, well, that was obvious that it entered my life then because it was all about the language of yoga was all about rooting down into the earth, feeling your feet on the floor grounding and anchoring these were the verbs that the teacher was using and i was blown away pardon my american you know cliche blown blown away and teary often teary on my mat because i couldn't feel it i felt like everyone around around me in the room could but me and i desperately wanted to feel it so i grew up super duper rooted to American-born, California-born-and-raised parents. They've never lived anywhere else but there. They only speak English. And somehow, wow, I didn't get it. It wasn't in the DNA. No, you had a whole different experience and a whole different set of adventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the good and the bad. Yeah. So the grief, the grief is um, 
you know, not feeling stable. And also because we're talking about like the country that's between us, my husband and me, is this, you know, what's in the headlines today? Israel. And it's not a country where you always feel safe. And so there was this issue on the physical level where I didn't, I don't even know if it's past tense. Don't always feel safe. But I actually can say all these years later, I'm not sure anybody does anywhere anymore. The world has really forever changed. Yeah, that's very true. Um, can you, and what's your current grief? Can you share some of that? With the Kleenex, it's fine. Um, big picture for the state of the world. Um, we're really, really in a terrible place. Big picture for the world we're giving our children. Big picture, um, the hatred, the, the feeling lonely where I live. I am in Tel Aviv and I can tell you how many people have not reached out since October 7th and maybe because they don't know what to say, which I know is you know probably one of your questions. How do you deal with grief? Um, but it's when someone doesn't reach out, it's really felt. And um, small picture, I have a daughter who started college during COVID, so on Zoom, and she can't end university this year because there's no university because three quarters probably of every campus has been called up to the reserves. So colleges have not started. There's so much um, fallout isn't the right word. There's so much, so many industries that this affects in this country. So many things that aren't functioning properly because of what's going on. So the fact that my daughter isn't in college because again, a huge part of the student body is who's been called up to reserve duty. It's just this, like, it's just terrible to look at, you know, how she's trying to enter adulthood in camp because the world has got terrible other things going on. And I look back at my childhood, I'm 58. I look back and I just think we didn't live through anything like this. I mean, nothing. So it's pretty pervasive, the grief. And on a small, selfish level, I celebrated my book September 5th. And I feel like on October 7th, I started to bury it. I started to mourn it. Um, I feel like I'm up against a wall. None of my events in Israel have taken place, of course, obviously. I don't think they ever will. No one is in the mood to celebrate. I can't really talk about it with anyone here. I feel badly talking about it. So I, I've always lived a very bifurcated life. And even now, like even now, it's still bifurcated. I cannot share this, any aspect of this with my world here. Because we're all just thinking about bigger things, like existential bigger things. Yeah, that's my, that's my grief today. We're both think, crying. We're both crying yeah. too. No, like yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. so it's so much. That's so much. Yeah. And you're you're but right. I, you're right so, there in it right now. Yeah. So every morning I start my day, sometimes takes me an hour and a half to two hours to get out of bed. I'm not normally like that. It's when I let myself read the news. I really try hard the rest of the day not to get on the news. 
um, because otherwise I'll go down a, a rabbit hole, the news and social media. Um, I never used to ever read the names of fallen soldiers. And I do today because it's not my children for different reasons. They've not been called up, but it's all of my friends and all of my family, my cousins, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. So it's my niece, my nephews. Um, it's so pervasive. It's my neighbors. It's my every, it's that, that's how small this country is. Everybody feels this way. So um, for me, it feels like a matter of time before I'm going to know who that is in the photo and who the name is. And it's, terrifying but it doesn't matter even if I don't know somebody it's somebody else's terrible terrible grief so it really doesn't matter whose it is we all share in it it is it's that it's that collective grief and yeah. um and it and it's just it's like just next to your skin yeah right? And, and even though you're reading those names and might not recognize a name yet, it, like you said, it doesn't matter because, um, boy, cause it is, it's somebody else's yeah. child, parent, spouse, all those relationships that we have. Yeah. Plus, I think the thing that's really hard to process is the whole country is in trauma. There's been such incredible loss and I don't know how we're going to ever get out of it. Don't know. I, I, I'm not equipped to answer that or even address it in, in the remotest way. Sorry, I know you didn't expect to have such. No, heavy- I, I am, I am really appreciative that you're, that we're, you're sharing and that we're just having an honest conversation about it because, um, it's the state of things now and, um you have a, a personal history and are having a personal experience um, that we're really appreciative to hear about and it matters. And that's that whole thing of like, I don't want to stay silent. We can't stay silent. Right. And so we really appreciate having you here and talking about it and that we can share it on the podcast and it gives people something else to think about in ways maybe they haven't because when, when we personalize it, um, we can't distance ourselves from it, right? Yeah. Um, because it affect it affects all of us. Yeah. I was uh as you're talking, wondering besides, you know, waking up in the morning in the newspaper, how else it like affects your daily life when we first got yeah. on here. You talked about the sirens, but we didn't record that. So I was just like I can't even wrap my mind around that idea of like there's consistently the idea of sirens that I would have to go, you know, right. hide to be safe. Right. So it's a great question. So here's the way the week started. So Sunday is the first day of our work week. We're a Sunday through Thursday officially work week. Some people work on Fridays like storekeepers. Banks are closed on Fridays. Um, and on Sunday morning, my husband and my young adult daughter and I got in the car. We, we left early and we drove about 30 minutes north to a small, mm, not a village, not a town, a small settlement community where we went to a farm, uh, a field, there was, um, we, we, we could either be inside or outside. And I actually can't be outside right now because I have a treatment going on on my face. So I can't be in the sun. So we did inside and we were taking the pits out of dates. And then they sell frozen dates from their farm. So in the fields, they're growing strawberries and they have a whole strawberry side to what they're doing. 
and we were in the date side. We were in the frozen fruit side and we were with probably 10 to 15 other people, all volunteers because workers are gone. It's a combination of foreign workers. Like a, a good example might be the Thai. So there were 22 hostages that were just released this past week, last week from Thailand. And then they left the country this week and the whole Thai community there's a large number of foreign workers in Israel. I don't have the numbers, but there's a large number of legal foreign workers and many have been called back by their governments. And so volunteers are stepping in, people are stepping in, they're stopping their normal lives and stepping in to replace the foreign workers. There's another population, which is the Palestinian workers. It's, it's very complicated, this life here. They're coming in from the West Bank and they were coming in from Gaza but they're not being allowed in right now for security reasons. So there's huge, huge swaths of the, the population missing to help in different industries. So one industry is farming, agriculture, everything that is agriculture. So we have friends who go and help pick fruit. My husband and my two kids go once a week and pick fruit outside. One week they did lemons, one week oranges, and actually they went inside one day to do cannabis side by side with Bedouin women. It all sounds very exotic. And just so you know, that's exotic to us as well. So um, so, so there's a lot going on. So Sunday, we did that for a few hours. And then yesterday, my daughter and I went, uh, uh, two women from the Bay Area, sisters, opened up a cooking school in Tel Aviv uh, within the past year. It's called Citrus and Salt. They had fabulous cooking classes going on. The war started. They closed down their cooking classes and they are just cooking food for soldiers and civilians. And we went about three or four weeks ago and we cooked for a morning. And yesterday we went in the afternoon and did the afternoon time slot, which was much less interesting. We got there kind of as things were winding down. Um, so we peeled carrots, we put a fruit salad, a huge fruit platter together. They were making a barbecue for a base. They were leaving to go to do a barbecue at a base. My daughter asked him a question. I don't know who pays for the food. I don't know. I don't know if they've got a grant. I don't, I don't know, but they have um, Excel spreadsheet. It's all a WhatsApp group and you sign up on a, on a Google spreadsheet or Excel spreadsheet, whatever it is to do a time slot during the week. So there's unbelievable mobilization of the population to volunteer in all these different sectors. I went once um, to the underground parking lot, huge, huge, huge parking lot at the convention center in Tel Aviv. It's been turned into a like a warehouse, a war warehouse for all the evacuees that have been displaced from the north and the south. They're in Tel Aviv in hotels and they don't have anything. It's fled. And so people are delivering home goods, linens, towels, shoes, accessories, kitchen accessories, clothing. And my girlfriend and I, we spent five hours and we just sorted men's and women's clothes. So it's extraordinary what's going on. And so the way we're working in our house is kind of one to two days a week, we're volunteering. And then we're at our desks doing what we're trying to do. But it's, I mean, it took me a month before I could focus. Yeah, but it's a great question, Maria. Yeah, that's, thank you for sharing all that. That's something I... I had no idea what was going on with and it's yeah. something we see though in other parts of the world too when there's a tragedy that people just yeah. are able to come together and yeah help out and, like that also. and then the, the strange dichotomy and I go to the gym in the morning I sometimes meet a friend for coffee 
we're going out to dinner with friends tonight. Like there's also that there's a strange, you know, duality going on where we just normalize it. Like you normalize grief or we're normalizing war. Yeah. I, I imagine that like for your mental health, you also need to do, you also need to meet the friend for coffee. You also need to like take those steps that yeah. feel like daily life along with, um, all that volunteering. Um, yeah. it's like the, the giving back is always so important and, and here, and what you just shared like that is so hands-on and so needed. And I imagine that your, your family is one of many doing that. Oh yeah. And we, we do less than many people. There are some people doing it five days a week. Yeah. Our upstairs neighbor, he's American. He's a retired, um, gerontologist, gerontologist, gerontologist. Yep. American. And he used to, when he was a doctor in upstate New York, he used to raise sheep, get a sheep farm. Nice Jewish boy in his late sixties. He found a sheep farm about 30 minutes North. And he went for his first time and he shepherded the, the sheep. Mm-hmm. And he just showed us the most beautiful pictures last night when we were in the stairwell for an air raid siren. Yeah. Yeah. So he found his little happy place where he can live in Tel Aviv in the center of the city and go be a shepherd every once in a while. I love that contrast. It's big. (laughs) It is. Well, and it's also, you know, my writer brain, it's like, what a good metaphor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I'm, I'm like the questions that we normally ask, I feel like we're going to have you back on at another time to also talk about the things we frequently talk about on here. Um, but I'm so appreciative of what you're sharing and, um, I'm still going to ask like, how has, how has grief changed you? Yeah. And, and that, and you can think about that in terms of now, right. Or in terms of what we would have talked about in September. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, the word I would use is, um, thin skinned, which unfortunately, sadly, I am thin skinned, like literally, and, um, feel people's sadness, um, like right underneath me. And so I am a 20 year yoga teacher. I don't know how do I say that. I've been teaching yoga for 20 years, uh, practicing for 28. I don't know. It's very hard for me to separate if I would have been like this, if yoga hadn't been a part of my life. I do not know. I, 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 first of all, my DNA, my DNA is my Zeta. My dad's dad was a crier, the family crier of that generation. And then my dad and my aunt, my dad and his sister are the family criers of that generation. And of the four grandchildren, I am the family crier. So, and I'm 58. So my, you know, 60 something year old brother and my 50 something year old cousins, they can laugh all they want at me when we're together and I'm the one welling up, but like, it's real, it's genetic. It is, it is given to me. So I seem to get overwhelmed by grief. Um, I feel it really, really deeply. And um, how has it changed 
I well up with tears easily. Um, all, all it takes is for someone to tell me, this happens so often to me, someone's telling me some tragedy that's happening to them. They are dry eyed and I'm feeling it for them. It's like I'm taking it for them. I'm carrying it for them. I'm holding it for them. Maybe it's that. I hug. I, I think my language, my love language is touch. I've, I've taken, I don't know if you've ever done that where you take um, the, the test. Yeah. Yeah. So mine is touch. It's no wonder I teach yoga. Um, I love being touched when I'm on the mat by my yoga teacher. Um, I, I didn't like in my yoga life when I had to ask someone, is it okay to touch? Because the thought that it wasn't okay was so sad to me. I think we all need to be touched. Um, I love to hug people, but I've had strange experiences. I have a friend, this is like at least 10 years ago, when I went to like do this to her, just to, to just talk and do something, she's like, why do you always touch me? So like, it makes me self-conscious. So I can say to you, my language, my love language is touch. I can say to you, it's probably why I teach yoga. I can say to you that I love to hug, but I can also say to you, not everyone, not everyone's cut for it. I need, I, I, I want to hold and I want to be held. And I look back at who I've always been. And I was always the smallest. The fact that my book is called a memoir in miniature. I'm five feet one. I was the tiny one always in my friend group always being carried and lifted and the baby and the family of, you know, playing family. And I always got the hand-me-downs from all my friends. Like I, I was always being touched and none of this has any, you know, negative. Um, what am I trying to say? Not touch in a creepy way. We're not talking about that. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Um, I, I know I love that. I'm like, you and I were definitely meant to, to meet because um, I'm very similar. Like I'm, I'm a crier and I firmly believe that, that those of us who are criers, um, it like opens the door and it gives other people permission. I've just, I've seen it so many times in groups and I'll cry. And then, and other people who are like on the verge, it like opens that door and, and they cry too. And I'm such a believer in, um, the tears is a way we cleanse, right? They yeah. really, they really can be holy. And those grief tears, um, are, it, it, it's, it's a way, you know, there are cultures that definitely consider those to be the most holy tears because yeah. you are, cause you're not guarded, right? You're no. just authentically you being you. And that's how you express. Um, yeah, I'm a hugger too. And I've just learned that I asked that I, cause you can tell when I know when you and I mean person, we're definitely hugging, you know, you can tell, you can feel it when someone doesn't want to be hugged. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, so I ask, um, cause it is so my inclination. Um, but you can feel when someone's like, maybe so not, I'm going to combine Maria's question and your question and tell you okay. what happened on October 8th. I was in San Francisco. My October 8th event at a synagogue was canceled, obviously. And the city of San Francisco, three of the huge, huge temples, the two reform and one conservative did a joint solidarity at one of the big temples called Sherath Israel, which I'd never been into and it's beautiful. And it was full and the downstairs was packed with people. And so my daughter visiting from New York, 26, none of my kids are criers. The genes stopped with me. 
um, my 26 year old daughter and I went upstairs with my cousins and very dear camp friend and her husband and the six of us sat upstairs and it was like a U-shaped balcony and we were in the middle and Nancy Pelosi was there and she spoke and the mayor of San Francisco was there and she spoke and all these different rabbis and it was an incredibly powerful event. And somebody on my right caught my eye. Um, he looked loosely around my son's age. My son is 30. Um, he was sitting next to some men, but he was doubled over, sobbing, shaking in grief. And all I could think was his parents probably live in Israel. He's probably Israeli. He probably maybe knew someone who I, was at the music festival. I didn't know. We were in such a state of shock on October 8th. And I couldn't stop seeing him out of the corner of my eye. And I couldn't sit there. My, my, I was holding my daughter's hand and she was not able to express herself. And I just kept saying to her, you can't hold it in. You can't hold it in. It's just not healthy. And she's like, don't worry about me. And I just kept seeing this guy. And at one point, I don't know how much into the, the morning, I just, I squeezed her hand and I said, I'm sorry, I have to get up. And I went up and I went over to this man and I sat in the empty seat on his left. And I said to him in English, I said, is this okay? And he said, yes. And I put my hand on his upper back and I just stroked him. And I just, you know, and until he calmed and I noticed he was wearing a wedding ring and we didn't talk and he calmed. And then we all stood for the, Israel, the um, Israel's national anthem. It's called Hatikva, which means hope. And we stood. And as soon as we started singing, I lost it. I couldn't. I couldn't. And I sat down and I doubled over and I was in a, in a ball of tears. And he sat down and he put his hand on my upper back and he just did the same thing to me. No words were exchanged. And I waited until or, or, or I calmed down. He waited until I calmed down. And once I had calmed down, he leaned over into the man next to him who was also wearing a wedding ring, who I think now, okay, was clearly his husband, but also clearly unable to give him what he needed. And um, and once we were both calm and once I realized he wasn't alone, I got up and I went back and I sat next to my daughter. And it was, I mean, I've never done anything like that in my life, but like something possessed me. And um, I don't know who he was. Wow. That's so beautiful. That is just like you following your heart and yeah. um that's your that's your humanity, right? Like you followed your heart and and I love that you two had boy. It's early for me to be crying. I love that you two had that beautiful heart to heart soul to soul exchange without any words. Um, so kind of as we wrap up today, we always like to ask if there's anything else you'd like to add or that you thought of to um, um, add to this conversation. No, I think, I, I think, you know, I sit where I sit and think it's, it's really important to not hold it in. So whatever that means for someone, right? Maybe it's that they need to go for a run or they need to go to the gym or they need to go into the ocean, but just when you feel grief, not to hold it in because our body, our body can't handle it. Our bodies will implode. 
it will it will have to come out. Yeah, that's all. Wow, absolutely. Otherwise, it gets stuck in the body. Yeah, exactly. And will show up in some other way. Yeah. Oh, boy, thank you so much. This was really important for us to hear, and it will be really important for other people to hear. And we just really appreciate um, your honest, open heart sharing with us today. Um, and we'll have you back another time to talk about other things, but I, this, this, this is what matters right now. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your perspective. And it's something we, um, haven't just delved into. And so getting to have the conversation with somebody who's living it and living there is just a wonderful gift. So thank you for that. So if you would like to continue to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook. You can join our private community. It's called Coffee and Grief Community. We'd love to see you on there. There's conversations. There's uh, You can respond to this podcast there. Um, our email is coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. If you have something you'd like us to talk about, we'd love to hear from you on our email. We host our coffee talks the first Thursday of every month. It's five different readers reading a personal grief story similar to the story you heard here today. There's a Zoom link on our Facebook page so that you can come and be live in the Zoom room. Um, they We won't be in conversation with the readers afterwards, so those readings are usually just about under an hour. We also wanted to let you know we are hosting a free writing session January 22nd at noon. Uh, there will be time to write, time to share in it. There will be a brief meditation and writing prompts. It gives you a little taste of our February class called Write Your Grief Out, which is our next writing group. It's a 30-day course. It's for all levels of writing. You don't need to be a writer to start, but you definitely can be a writer. We'll meet you where you are. It's all types of grief. You could write about one grief or multiple griefs. Uh, it includes prompts every weekday and lots and lots of encouragement along with eight Zoom calls. That's really where we get to create a tight and loving community with you guys. So that one starts February 1st, but if you want more information, you can come join us January 22nd. Gives you like a little bite-sized taste of our longer course. Um, or you can reach out to us on email or the website for the course is writeyourgriefout.thinkific.com. And you could sign up there. Um, it also has a lot more information. We'd love to see you at both places. We'd love to see you in January and we'll love to see you in February. We always like to finish by saying, be good to yourself, be kind to your heart, drink plenty of water, do something kind for yourself. And if you have the bandwidth, do something kind for another. And with that, we'll say thank you, Jennifer, and goodbye. You really touched our hearts today. Thank you. Love you. Bye. We love you all. We love you. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.